Hello and welcome back to another episode of I Think She's Offside in collaboration with Rim Gym Consulting. Now today you have Lippa and my special guest. Hi. What's your name special guest? <laughs> um, I'm Rimla Akhtar and I'm the Managing Director of Rim Gym Consulting. So before we get into the nitty gritty, how has your morning been? My morning has been, as usual, very busy. I think anyone that works in the sports industry replies with busy when they're asked how they're doing. Um, so very much on, on track for that. So, so taking it back to when you were younger, uh, how, did you, how did you get into sports? What was your first sport? My first sport, um, I probably couldn't remember, but the, one, the main one I remember playing in sort of a more formal setting, I guess, was football. And um, so I have two older brothers and like older brothers, you know, kind of like your heroes and um, you want to do, I'm the only girl, so you kind of do whatever they do and join them or, or get left out really. So um, they were kind enough to let me into their inner circle of, of football crazy people. And um, so I started playing football with them and then that love of sport really grew. I always say, um, you know, growing up in North London in sort of the 80s into the 90s, it was a really difficult time to be uh, not white, if I can be really blunt. Um, and so we were made to feel not welcome. And, um, you know, I was really young, those sort of formative years, you don't really know what people are saying, what, what the words mean, but you know that you're not welcome. And I guess football was an outlet for me where I felt that I was accepted. Um, and I always say this whenever I speak about it, you know, it's a space where nobody seems to care about the colour of your skin, the fact that you're a girl and, you know, you wear a piece of cloth around your head. It's, it's all just about your ability on, on the pitch, or at least you hope it is. Um, and I happen to be good. So that's how I got into football, really, in a more formal sense. And then just loved sports and any sport that I played. So tried out for, for many teams and um, thankfully got, in, got into many of them. So a bit about me. I like PE was the Olympics for me. So can you relate? <laughs> totally. Oh my god! It was like the thing is, it was like multi-discipline Olympics. So yeah. you wanted to play absolutely every. Well, certainly I wanted to play absolutely every sport I possibly could and do as well as I could. But yeah, totally. So being an Asian woman in sports and BAME individual in sports, mm. did you have that support from your family and friends? Oh, totally. I think uh, sports runs in my blood um my mother was a uh, sports president at her school back in pakistan year after year after year i've got all these pictures of her i mean i literally i went to pakistan one year in the summer holidays as you do you know as a dc sort of asian girl uh, in the summer holidays and i remember going to my nan's house and um where we lived in 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 pakistan they because it, it's near the these five rivers that come together there's often, you know, flood warnings and things like that. So everyone had moved everything to the to the upper level when we got there. And I went into this room and it was full of all of her trophies everywhere. All these trophies she'd won and um, medals and, her, you know, her mum, my nan, was still holding them with, you know, her, they were pride. So it runs in the family. My nan played basketball. Um, wow. My grandfather played hockey, refereed hockey, actually, at a state level. Um, so, yeah, it runs in the blood. <laughs> I, I I hear that. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> totally hear that. So, I, I want the next question was going to be what what drove your hunger to pursue a career in sports, but I feel as though that you story kind of kind of connects. So, yeah. who who were your role models growing up, other than the people in your family because they're very inspiring as it is. Yeah. 
To be honest, um, I couldn't relate to anyone outside of, of my family. You know, I had, we were a very close-knit family. My mother was and is this really strong woman who uh, was very values-led and she instilled those values within us. And, and I think that's where I call it inspiration, you can call it whatever you want, but ultimately that's what defined who I was and made me want to be who I am today and, and actually reminds me of who I am, that what she instilled in us reminds me of, you know, I remind myself of that all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, part of the drive, coming back to your, you know, what you were going to ask before, is that I want younger girls who, like me, you know, grew up watching sports, grow, you know, grow up watching sports will think, uh, I want them to think that they've got these role models, they've got these women who look like them, who feel like them, um, and, and that they can really relate to that journey and want to go on a journey and even outdo those role models that they look up to. So that's part of what drives me, is to give those young girls the opportunity, and boys, I would say, actually, the opportunity to to really aim high and aspire. So talking about inspiration, <laughs> when I was in year 11, I was just randomly Googling, basically to see if anyone looks like me. And then this thing came up, Muslim women in sports. And I was like, okay, let's click on that. And I see you on there. And I was like, wow, I want to meet this lady one day. Oh and fast forward <laughs> it. And we're here recording a podcast. So do you want to um, talk about uh, Muslim women sports foundation yeah. a little bit? So I actually, that's so um, weird, actually, it's really, <laughs> it's weird. really weird now that you said that. But um, anyway, um, so the Muslim Women's Sport Foundation, I chaired the organisation from 2005 to 2018, just the end of last year. But um, prior to that, I joined the organisation as a player. So the foundation was set up by a guy called Ahmed Versi, who's um, the editor of a, of a newspaper called the Muslim News. And he set it up because... Um, there was this international women's games, women's Islamic games as they were known, um, that were taking place, had already taken place twice already. Um, and the founder of those games, Faiza Hashmi, um, she was being interviewed by Ahmed. And um, he spoke about this games and said, you know, you've only got Muslim women from Muslim, from Muslim majority countries taking part in these games. So what about those that are in, you know, whether minority, Muslim minority countries? So she went, okay, let's do that. Um, and that's really where the foundation started because Ahmed thought, right, we need an organisation that's going to support our British Muslim women's teams that go out to compete at these games. Um, and that's how it was set up. Um, I joined because my mother, being my mother and being a typical Asian mother, said to me, you're going to try out for the team. I said, no, Mom, I'm never going to make it. I haven't played football for years because I hadn't at that point. She was like, no, you're going. And I said, but I'm not, you're going. So in the end, she forced me to go, and thanks to her, um, I made the team, the futsal team that was going to go out to Iran to compete. Uh, we pl we went over there, we played the national teams of all the countries we were playing. Um, it was stunning. Anyone that knows futsal knows the Iranian teams are good, um, and we found that out to our detriment when we got there. So um, it was they were very they are a very gifted team, you know, just amazing. They were then, they are now. Um, so we had an amazing experience. The foundation was focused on that. But when I took over in 2005, you know, recognising that there was this sort of dearth of Muslim women in, in sports, 
Um, and we, we needed to create more role models right across the game. You know, not just participating, because isn't it great to be active, but actually leading the way as volunteers, as fans, um, as coaches, as referees, as administrators, everything. And the media, like yourself now, um, you know, we needed more and more Muslim women. And we're just so proud, actually, of the fact that we've got to that stage. You know, that story you just said, that you looked at that and you thought, wow, there are people like me out there. Yeah. That's exactly what I felt when I joined this team, because I thought there was nobody else that played futsal or football that, that was from my community or looked like me, and suddenly there were from across the country. Um, so it's so good to know that it was doing that for people. How important is it for a young person to sort of see someone at board level that looks yeah. like them? I think it's important just visibility. You know, it's that whole saying of, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm. Um, you know, you'd, you'd look, in my situation, it was about breaking down barriers. It really was. It was about changing mindsets um, because I was the first, you know, in, in terms of being on the FA Council, even the RFL, which I've joined um, just last month, um, you know, the first, I think, it, we're pretty sure that I'm the first BAME person to be on that board. Now, that could be looked at in a good way, but I look at it and go, why has it taken so long for, for someone like me to be on the FA Council, for example? But now it's about how do we get more and more people from our backgrounds, all of our communities, because it's not one community, yeah, um, into those spaces. And for me, it's about that succession planning, because the more, and especially I really believe in young people's leadership. You know, I was half the average age of a council member when I first joined. Um, and I don't think that that, actually would have been considered prior to someone like me joining and now we see more and more young people leading the way across the industry and it's just fantastic to see. So how did it feel being the first Muslim on the FA Council? It was the first Muslim woman. Yeah. Um, there was a guy who was on council I think for for a very very short period of time because of a transition thing that happened. Um, so he was interim in, in there who, who was Muslim as well. Um, so I was the first Muslim woman to go onto the council and the first Asian woman to go on the council. Um, to be honest, I didn't really think about it. I focused on what I was there for, which was to represent people from diverse communities because I was there with an inclusion remit as a whole. I wasn't there to represent necessarily Muslim women or Muslims or Asians. I was there to represent um, you know, people who felt excluded within the game, people who felt that there wasn't enough representation of them in, in the game and to create change. So my focus was really on building those relationships, um, being myself actually in a lot of those occasions and, and just hoping from there and, and working hard as well to, to make sure that we got the results that we wanted and we're starting to see those results come through now, which is fantastic. Do you sometimes feel as though you represent a nation sometimes because of who you are being an individual in sports? Do I feel like I represent those communities? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Um, you know, not just in a sporting sense, in the sense of being on these boards, but in life in general, I would say. Um, I think I'm visibly Muslim, first of all. You know, my skin is a certain colour. Um, I'm a certain gender. I can't get away from those things, and I don't want to. Um, I've actually learned through sport and through life to accept every aspect of my identity. So yeah, I do feel like I represent those those communities. I feel like I have a responsibility to those communities. Um, and I just, all I can do is ask 
for the best for myself as I, as I would on the, on the field of play you know you can only ask the best of yourself in that in that moment that's exactly what I ask uh, of myself you know when I'm off the field of play in those boardrooms in those council meetings um, and you know hopefully I, I feel that the communities are behind me in that as well well I'm behind you so thank you you know what <laughs> I think the community is as well so talking about achievement I read somewhere that you were on the Forbes list and you're an MBE as well. So how did all of that happen? Um, Yeah, it's a bit random, really. I was actually in Jordan um, with someone else who was on that Forbes list, uh, Moya Dodd. Um, And we were just laughing with each other, just thinking, this is so weird. It's surreal. Like, we're in the middle of Jordan. So we were there for... Um, a record-breaking uh, match uh, played at the lowest altitude over in the Dead Sea in Jordan. So we were there on this sort of tour through the through the country. We were hiking through the country and then we were going to the match. Um, and we were on the coach between two, two places and suddenly Moya says, have you seen this? <laughs> and um, just, it was, it was the weirdest thing. Um, you know, obviously an honour, um, but I feel like I, I haven't even achieved half of what I want to achieve for our communities. Um, so it's an honour, but I, you know, it just means that I keep going. Um, just the start. It is just the start. I mean, who knows where the journey is going to go? I never, ever imagined that I'd be in this career, if you want to call it that. I call it my passion, my love. Um, doing what I'm doing today to be able to say that I love my job is an amazing thing and I'd never imagined this happening so who knows where the future will lead that's incredible as a BAME in, um, candidate for a job interview did you ever feel as though you were offered offered the opportunity just to tick a box gosh um, I've been told that's been the case <laughs> but myself uh, I've never, I've never thought about that sort of stuff. I think, for me, I was brought into football in particular. Um, I mean, across the sports industry, but specifically football in the beginning, and the FA um, by people who believed in my abilities and people who wanted to nurture that and support it. Um, and therefore, I was never made to feel that I'm there just to tick. You know, she's a Muslim woman who wears a hijab and she ticks that box. Fantastic. That's where it began because. That's where I was. I was at the Muslim Women's Sport Foundation and people wanted to hear about what Muslim women needed. But once they realised that I had a lot more to give, they actually nurtured that that ability within me and I'm grateful for, for everyone that did that. Um, so I've never felt that. Um, I'm sure there, there are occasions where people might have thought, well, actually, that's just an added bonus that she can bring that perspective. Um, but it never... It's not something that I think about because I never want it to hinder me. Do you feel as though you have to offer more to your employer when you were employed? Um, you mean prior to the sports stuff or within the sports industry? Um, within the sports within industry, Within the sports yeah. industry. No, I think um, I've, I'm quite um, a grounded individual and, uh, you know, gone through quite a, a relatively difficult life. So... Um, to get to where I'm at, I am, I'm quite grounded. And so for me, it's not about being overconfident. It's more about being grounded in who I am and comfortable with my identity and, and what I bring. Um, I knew I had my sort of financial background as well, my business background, having worked in the city for a number of years. 
I had that to bring. I had all my experiences on a personal level as someone who's played sports at various levels. You know, what I had so much to give. So why would there be anything that I doubt within me or, or feel like I have to prove something to someone? I'm not there to prove anything to this day to anyone. I'm there to represent my communities and make sure sports is an open space. Uh, and as long as I focus on that, it's not about me or my ego. It's about what impact I as an individual can have for the sake of others. That was powerful. That was powerful, very powerful. Really? <laughs> that was very powerful. I think the listeners will also agree with me. But another thing um, in terms of career and career paths, did you face any barriers at all when you were I... starting off maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think it's happened so organically for me. I've been really blessed. Um, you know, I like I say, it's I, I started a career in the, in the city and I was fully focused on that. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, boring as it might sound, I was a chartered accountant. I'm going to make it up to partner at my firm and all that kind of stuff. Without being a career-driven like driven individual, I was just like, okay, that's the path that's been set out for me. Um, but when football came calling... When the Muslim Women's Sport Foundation came calling, I found something that made my heart race and really, you know, brought it to life. You know, I loved the client work that I was doing in the city, but it, this was so different because there was this connection, this love. And, um, you know, the FA coming to us and sort of saying, you know, we want you to consult with us, you know, what we want you to advise us. Um, it happened really organically where they wanted us to step forward and into their space. Um, so it wasn't difficult in that sense. I think the difficulties that I faced were probably within myself. Um, so having grown up with, um, you know, people constantly wanting me to question my identity. Am I Asian first or am I British first or am I Pakistani or British? Um, am I Muslim first or am I British first? All of those questions, you know, people wanting to create chaos within me and probably still do to a certain extent for young people now. You know, these things are fixed and firm within me and every aspect of my identity, British, Muslim, Asian, female, etc. I, I learned to accept all of that. However, when it came to, for example, going for the FA Council role, so this was a role where I'd, I'd just joined the Inclusion Advisory Board and two people from the Inclusion Advisory Board were, were going to be elected by their peers on that board, onto the council, uh, from the board onto the council. And um, at the time that I was going for it, I was there was there was one particular position that was being uh, elected at that stage, and um, three of us went for it. But before I'd even gone forward for it, I said to a friend of mine who worked at the FA, I said to her, "Do you think I'm ready for this? Do you think I was questioning my own ability? Um, because what it was was it became about this story that I'd created in my head of." What people had told me, these tales of, you know, these 70, 80-year-old white men um, who stood on the FA Council and certainly not, you know, a Pakistani hijab-wearing girl like me in her 30s. Um, and because of all of that, I think that's where I doubted myself and that's where I felt the barriers. Um, thankfully, my friend said, well, why not? Just go for it. Um, and I did go for it and I was um, almost unanimously elected um, by my peers to, to join the council. Um, but the barriers, like I say, for me that I've faced are within myself. Um, if other people have their own biases, their own barriers in their mind, that's that's to do with them. It's not to do with me. Um, and as I said earlier, it's not to, it's not for me to prove them wrong. 
Um, it's for me to continue to do what I do and shine and, and do the best of my to you know the best that I can possibly do, um, because otherwise it just wastes. I've I've found in life it wastes too much of my energy if I just try and prove other people. So focus on myself, focus on what I have to give, and give that. And I think um, I think people come around. How how important is it for BAME individuals to be in places of power within the sporting industry? I think it's essential. It's so um, it's such a huge issue right now, and it has been for generations. I would say about a lack of representation um, across decision making spaces, not least because if you don't know the communities you're trying to reach then how can you expect to be making the right decisions um you know it doesn't have to i'm, I'm not a massive uh, fan of quotas haven't been for years but i recognize that the benefit that they bring in the short term to create change and that's why i'm behind what we're doing at the moment at rimgen consulting with getting board and, and the wider program with sports england to diversify sports boards um it's really important for me that we have that representation um, of, of underrepresented groups within sports um, and particularly at the decision-making level. How do you think that this can help ease more opportunities for BAME individuals? Well, I just think if you have more people in those decision-making positions, in the positions where you're strategically advising, in the positions where you can influence then the inevitable consequences will have a more inclusive sport and a more inclusive sports industry. Uh, we've seen it here at the FA. You know, I came in to the council um, and I was one of four women out of about 100 odd people and one of three people of colour out, out of that same 100. And now if you look at that council, it is just... Okay, it's a long way to go still, don't don't get me wrong, but it is so much more representative in terms of the number of women there, the number of BAME individuals that are not being placed onto council almost like I was because I came through the inclusion board, but actually coming through the pathways further down. So actually, the you know, further down the pyramid that's leading up to the council, things are changing at that level. Um, so that's, that's come because individuals like me, Paul Elliott, um, you know, Heather Abatz back in the day when, when she was on the FA board and this pioneer for, for that, you know, and talk about looking up to people. That was someone I really looked up to when I met her for the first time. Um, those, you know, we're, we're the people that are driving that internally. There are people down at the county FA level who some who aren't from the BAME community, but recognize that this is something that needs to happen. Change needs to happen. We, we need to have more representation. We need to have people who understand what the average boy or girl, man or woman on the ground is feeling when they're, you know, playing football or, or coaching the game or, or refereeing a game or whatever it is, um, you need people who understand all of that and understand where the sport needs to go to, to be in those decision making spaces. You literally stole my um, next question. Ah, that was sorry. going to be, um, <laughs> what what do you think those of non BAME background should do in order to sort of help us? Yeah, I think you've got to have allies. You've got to have allies across every single demographic. This isn't about an us and them situation. It's not about, you know, white people losing out because non-white people are coming into positions. I think if you look at things that way, then it's always going to be a competition and an us and them. And what we're saying is we want to live in a world where we work towards a meritocracy, an actual meritocracy, where people from BAME backgrounds, non-white people or women from ethnic minorities or you know, people with a disability feel like they will not be judged 
on any of those aspects of their identity, they will just be taken on their ability. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people, you know, those, those same council members, when I joined um, back in 2014, those same council members are the one are the ones this year, this summer, just uh, this July, just gone, um, who elected me with 60% of the vote when there were eight candidates to be their representative on the National Game Board. They were the same, you know, demographic that everyone sort of has a go out from the go out from the outside, who trust me enough to represent them, even though I'm not on a county FA uh, board or, or council, even though I'm not. Um, involved on a day-to-day -day basis. They've elected me there. They've elected me as their chair of their finance committee. I hold a 60 million budget, which runs the whole of the grassroots game now. So they have proven that they are allies when they see the potential in somebody uh, and they trust that individual to be able to represent them. And I really believe that there are many, many other allies out there that can help us do the same. So obviously all these opportunities that were given to you didn't just fall in your lap. So how mm -hmm. did you... How did you what goals did you put in place in order to achieve them? The ones You're that you gonna, saw coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's gonna sound it's gonna sound so wrong to say this because the usual thing is to say, yeah, I totally planned this all, but I didn't. Oh. I actually didn't, and I can say that uh, quite honestly. I only really saw this as a even though I was doing all this advisory work and I was involved with Inclusion Board and etc. It wasn't until 2014-15 that I really thought. You know, I was actually speaking to a mentor of mine. And he said, you clearly love sports than you, more than you love finance. So how about you think about making this your career? And that's really where things really changed in my head. Um, I'd always, you know, thought about the importance of getting more uh, ethnic minorities onto boards and, and onto councils and doing all the work that I'm doing now. That's been in my head for a long time. But I never thought that I would be the one driving it um, until until very recently. Um, so I've not carved it out for me. I've just thought about what is my vision for what I want to see in terms of the change that I want to see. Um, and particularly for me, being a woman who falls at this sort of intersection of, um, you know, not just gender, but race and faith. Um, what do I want for the women who, like me, have, have struggled or, or faced um, internal barriers like me or external barriers um, where other people have got in the way of their progression? Um, and what can I do to really help change things for them? So um, that's really, it's the vision that I've set for myself. And then it's a case of just taking the opportunities as they've come my way. And, and I'm really grateful that they have. So it's not just about me on the FA Council and being on the National Game Board and everything else that I've talked about, but actually how many women am, am I getting onto other boards? How many other uh, men from BAME backgrounds am I getting onto those boards? Um, how many allies am I creating across the industry who get this and will be our champions and our voices in the rooms that we're not in. That's really what I've been focused on rather than something for myself to, to go into. You've talked about vision and focus, mm. but New Year's upon us. Um, so what are your goals? Can you can you leak anything at all? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, or just personal goals, you know, if you yeah, can't say. Yeah, personal goals. I mean, I think I've got, I've taken on a lot of different projects at the moment oh, and... Okay. Um, I'm loving every single one of them, the latest being the RFL. I'm so excited to be on their board and it's such a progressive organisation. Um, so I'm really excited to, 
to focus on on getting to know more about rugby league. Being a Southern softie, I haven't heard much about um, rugby league growing up. I, I I did actually say that if I'd come across rugby league, maybe I would have played. That would have been one of the sports I'd played at school, but um, it wasn't introduced to me, so I didn't. Um, but yeah, and just my focus really for next year is is really uh, the women that are on our get on board program. Um, I have I know it's a really ambitious target, but I have a target for them to to get onto a board by the end of the program. Um, which is very, 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 very ambitious, I know. Um, but at least we're focused on an, on an end goal for everyone. And, um, you know, I'll be happy if they're happy by the end of the programme. And that's that's really what I'm focused on. Last question. What advice would you give to your younger self? If you could go back into yeah. time and talk to little you. Mm, don't doubt yourself. So as I said, my biggest um, my biggest challenge has my ba- the only barriers I feel like I've faced uh, or I've had to overcome are within myself. Mm-hmm. And up until a certain age, uh, where I developed that confidence in my identity, up until that point, I doubted myself a lot. Um, so you know, enjoy every moment of the journey. I know every experience, good and bad, has helped me get to where I am, has shaped who I am today. So um, just accept every everything that you go through, learn from it, and, and keep moving upwards. Wow, that is some advice to take for the new year. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And um, yeah, so the listeners, uh, we've got, you can come in contact with us in the description below. Talk to us, we wanna know how this episode went. What would you like to see in the future? Thanks for tuning in um, for the Lessons Learned podcast and hopefully you'll join us for the next one. Bye.